Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 444 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I'm here with A.L. Tate, also known as Alison Tate, <laughs> author of her latest book, which is The Wolf's Howl, a maven and reeve mystery. How are you, Al? Well, I'm <laughs> I'm a dual I'm a dual personality, obviously. Yes. Um, I am okay. Yep. Just yeah. just you know, getting on. School is on the horizon as coming back, which is a little bit exciting. Yes. Um, and you know, I, I yeah, you know, I'm all right. The fair to middling. Fair enough. Well, you know, <laughs> hashtag hashtag fair to middling. <laughs> what about you? I, I'm I'm getting excited because, you know, both of us live in New South Wales and that means our restrictions are easing. And I have made a hair appointment very, very important because oh, I have not. It was the first thing I oh, did. First thing. It was the first thing I did. I was like, <laughs> oh, thank heavens. Yep. All this video and lockdown hair has just not been a good combo. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So mm. very excited about that. I've, so not only have I made hair appointments, I have made restaurant appointments because, hey, haven't been into a restaurant for I can't even remember. And mm. it's funny because in normal life I actually don't go out that often. I don't go to restaurants that often. No. Um, but because I've been deprived of it, suddenly I that's all I want to do. Anyway, so restaurants, uh, I've been making those appointments. Uh, and what else? I'm just keen to be doing things that aren't click and collect all the time. Yeah. You know? I know. It's, I know, browsing. I'm looking browse. forward to a little bit of browsing. I want to browse a bookshop. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Just for the, you want to go, oh, mind you, you've moved, haven't you? So your local is a different bookshop now. It is a different bookshop, but because the local bookshop, which is still very good, doesn't have coffee or tea or, you know, a cafe, I still will probably go back to the old bookshop because I just love oh. having my cup of tea and looking like just letting all the books around me speak to me. It's mm. it's a great ritual, actually. I uh, highly mm. recommend having a cup of tea while browsing. Mm, definitely. All, All right. right. Let's what have, move what on. have we got? Anything exciting? Well, we've got a link from you, haven't we, Al? <laughs> Apparently we have, Val. Uh, yes, I, a, a link that appeared in Publishers Weekly recently uh, and at publishersweekly.com um, and it's called 10 Things Nobody Tells mm. You About the Publishing Industry. Now this um, I shared through the Australian Writers' Centre social media and it was really well, like lots of people were very excited about it because, you know, the thing I I, I think the thing that I um, – have become to realise is that nothing surprises me about the publishing industry yeah. anymore, but yeah. that's only because <laughs> I've been sort of like in it for as long as I yes. have. And sometimes I forget that in actual fact there's a whole lot of stuff out there that uh, does come as a surprise to um, to new people. I mean, the thing, the first, the first point in this article um, is something that does resonate with me because it was the thing that knocked me over when mm-hmm. I first started with book publishing. Oh, yeah. um, and it was this: the industry moves slowly, yeah, very slowly. Now, glacial. I remember, like, <laughs> glacial. You and I had talked about this many times on this podcast because. Um, just in those early days when I was used to magazine publishing oh. and newspaper publishing yes. and 
I was used to writing a thousand words and seeing them in print the following day, fully edited, ready to go, fact checked, the whole Mm. thing. Um, Yeah, the the process of publishing a book is is incredibly slow. And Mm. I remember when the first time I got a structural edit and even a copy edit. You know, I got the kind of got sent the manuscript back, and then I was like, "Well, you know, do you think eight weeks will be long enough?" And I was just <laughs> like, "What?" <laughs> uh, yeah, I should be all right with that, you know. Um, but you know, a proofread. You know, do you reckon you could get it back to us in three weeks? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can do that. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, – and, and just, I guess, you know, waiting for responses and, and all of those sorts of things, that was the thing that really I was surprised about. But I'm a little bit like – you know, I think it's a little bit like having a baby in a funny sort of a way in that, you know, when I had a baby, I went through the whole pregnancy thing. I had the baby. Yeah. <laughs> went through the birth. Yeah. Lots of people don't want to tell you about the birth for good reason. Yeah. But there's a whole lot of stuff that people – they do tell you, right? They do tell you. Lots and lots of people talk to you about this stuff and they say, oh, my God, wait till you get to this bit. Or, oh my, and and you you don't really take it on board because you think it's not going to happen to you. Right. You think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. That's, um, you know, like I'm not going to swell up to the size of a small house. No <laughs> way. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, all of that, you know, and it's not going to feel like that. No way. You know, whatever. And um. And then you get sort of to the other end of it and you're all like, why didn't anyone tell me about this? <laughs> and people are like, well, we tried, yeah. but you didn't want to hear it. And I think some of the things that nobody tells you about the publishing industry are a little bit similar because mm. I'm pretty sure someone told me that I was going to be spending a lot of time waiting, but I would still be checking my emails every 35 yeah. seconds because yeah. my situation was going to be different. Of course. And here's a newsflash. It was not different. No. It was the same. Yeah. So when we say to you, the industry moves slowly, we really, really mean it, Yeah. don't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I always think it's funny because I meet a lot of people who want to write business books and they usually they are entrepreneurs or business owners who can make decisions very quickly and move very quickly and their jaws are on the ground when I tell them how long it can take to write a book yeah. and, well, and to get a book published. Yeah. Uh, and it could take a year before you even see it and that's at the earliest, <laughs> the earliest, yeah. <laughs> even if you've even already if, finished your book. <laughs> that's right. But even if you self-publish, mm. if you indie publish, you know, to, to do that well and to do that properly, that takes longer than you think as yes. well. Yes, yes. Because, you know, this each stage of the process takes time and Mm -hmm. when you're doing something like that you've got to think about the promotion and the marketing and all that you know at the same time as you're going through the process everything takes longer than you think it's going to and particularly if you want to do it well um the other one that I think is is important uh and is actually something that you know uh, I think it's again people do tell you this but it's really not easy to grasp and it's very difficult to let go of mm. as a new author and that is not every deal is a good deal. What do you mean? You mean not every publishing oh, deal yeah, yeah, is yeah. a good deal. Mm, yeah. Mm, so mm. it's one of the points that they make in this article. Um, most early career of authors, if you get offered a contract, any contract, it feels like you're there. Like yeah. it feels like, you know, um, but, you know, the further you go into the 
process and into the industry and into kind of like having had several books out, um, you know that different publishers work differently. They have different goals. They have different marketing philosophies. They've got different access to readers. Every contract has its own fine print. Um, Not all publishers are built the same and it's really important. Like I had an email the other day from a friend of mine who had been submitting her work and had received an offer from a publisher, and I won't name them because I'm not going to give them the oxygen, (laughs) had received – an offer from a publisher that has featured heavily in terrible publishing scams across, you know, the internet. Mm. And, you know, uh, you know, she had at least read the fine print, had read the deal, the contract that they'd sent to her. And she contacted me to say, you know, this doesn't sound right. Mm. And I was able to respond to her and say, do not go near that with a 10 foot barge pole because it's not, you know, it's not it's not in your favor that mm. that particular deal is not going to work um and it's not hard to find those scam publishers because all you have to do mm. is uh double check like if you receive an offer from somebody mm. or even before you actually um submit to them yep. um if it looks too good to be true it probably is mm. google the name because you will soon find out yep. whether or not, like I'm talking about publishers outside of your kind of, you know, your, Major you know, your big five, yep. your true, yeah, exactly. Smaller Google publishers. the name. Yep. There are some terrific websites out there that work very, very hard to keep these, you know, publishers accountable mm-hmm. and there's a lot of information. So Google Google um, ask in the So You Want yep. to Be a Writer group. We had this situation not that long ago where somebody um, in our podcast community you know, had posted about how excited they were to have received an offer from yep. a, I think it was the same publishing company. Mm. Um, and, you know, the great thing about a community like ours is people were able to jump in and say, you probably, like, I'm so sorry to burst your bubble, yep. but yep. you probably don't want to go near that. Um, and if people say that to you, if there are enough people saying that to you, don't ignore them. Mm. You know, they're not just trying to ruin your day. Yep. What they're trying to do is save you from a very expensive mistake. Yeah. But again, so there that. are people who think that won't happen to me. Exactly. Mm. And I think, you know, I, it's it's about sort of like weighing up. It, it, I, put it this way. It's, to me, it's about weighing up where the information's coming from. Yes. If Val and I are in there saying, don't do it. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> we know heaps of people or, who haven't regretted it. <laughs> exactly. Or Pamela Freeman, I think, was another one. If Pamela's in there and she's she's great at sort of jumping on this stuff, yep. if she's in there going, please don't do this to yourself, yep. then please don't do it to yourself. Listen, because, yes. you know, listen to where the, you know, and, and it is important to look at where the information's coming from. It is important to look at where the advice is coming from. Um, but we have your best interest at heart. Yeah. We really do. And we are not trying to burst your bubble. No, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, Google the name of the publisher and the word scam. So ABC Company and Scam, and that will yeah. immediately throw up. Uh, any problems. Yeah, whether there's any problems. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a yeah. really good one for sure. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So let's move on to something a little bit happier. Let's move on to a cheerier (laughs) subject, shall we? Well, we have a competition. Now, this is really good. We have three copies of 
The One Impossible Labyrinth by the one and only Matthew Riley, who, of course, is the wonderfully internationally best-selling author and all-around nice guy of the Scarecrow series, the Jack West series, and lots of standalone novels. Jack West Jr. has made it to the Supreme Labyrinth. Now he faces one last race against multiple rivals, against time, against the collapse of the universe. But the road will be hard, for this is a maze like no other, a maze of mazes, demanding and deadly. It all comes down to this. Here in the most lethal and dangerous place Jack has encountered in all of his many adventures, and in the face of this indescribable peril, with everything on the line, there is only one thing he can do. Attempt the impossible. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is the last one in the series, isn't it? Isn't this the last book in the Scarecrow series? I'm sure I saw that somewhere. Like, I I like anything by by Matthew Riley just because, well, it's always page turning and because he's a really nice guy. Okay, so um, entries close on the 18th of October and go to writerscentercomau slash win for your chance to win one of three copies of The One Impossible Labyrinth. That's writercentercomau slash win. Now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I need to talk about the word of the week at some point, but what? yes, I'm ready <laughs> for the word of the week. <laughs> okay. This is really cool. Ecdi- is it? Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, before you yeah, really say cool. that, really cool. Uh, yeah, I, I really cool. I really like to, it. I want you to assess and be, <laughs> is it actually really cool? It is. Or it is. is it just Val cool? No, no, it's really cool. Okay. It's Ecdiziest. Okay. Sorry. Ecdiziest. Sounds like enthusiast, but it's not. It's Ecdiziest. E-C-D-Y-S-I-A-S-T. Ecdiziest. Do you know what it means? No, Val, you can't even say it. No, I don't know what <laughs> it means. Dizziest. <laughs> well, it's I a noun. I do not. It's a noun and it means a striptease dancer because exiziest mm-hmm. comes from the word ekdizis, which is the process when snakes or cicadas shed their skin. Huh. Get it? Oh, I look, now I've just got a visual that I don't even want to think about. But. <laughs> okay. Well, that was, yeah, all right. It was an interesting one, but wow. All right. <laughs> and that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults, will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. All right, so now let's move on to our writer-in-residence this week. Who is it, Al? Oh, well, it was a lot of fun because this week we have the delightful Wei Chim, who is, of course, a children's and YA author and recent competitor, competitor, that was a terrible word, competitor (laughs) Mm -hmm. on Australian Survivor. So So 
I know, so cool. Um, so we had a very interesting conversation that ranged everywhere from writing to to swimming and how she ended up sleeping in the dirt for 42 days. And um, it was great. Wei Tim is a children's and YA author based in Australia. She's the author of a number of children's titles, including the Chuk Chuk series and Xiao Zen. Her debut YA novel, Freedom Swimmer, was published by Alan and Unwin in September 2016 in Australia and will be released in the US in November. The Surprising Power of a Good Dumpling was released in Australia in August 2019 and in the US in November last year. And it has just been announced as a finalist uh, in the Kirkus Awards. She has a story in the new anthology Hometown Haunts from Wakefield Press and will be known to many Australians for her recent appearance on Australian Survivor. I can't even say it, let alone be on it. Welcome to the program, Way. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat. Well, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning because we are So You Want to Be a Writer. So we need to know how you became a writer in the first place. What was the first novel you had published and how did that come about? Yeah, so um, I my first novel was published. It was a chapter book and it was called Chuk Chuk May Secret Pets. And it was published back in 2012. So almost 10 years ago, not quite almost there. And yeah, um, it came about in a kind of a, I guess, a typical way. Um, I've always been loved writing and really loved telling stories and really wanted to write uh, books for kids. Um, and I, when I first came to Australia in 2006, that was something that I had in the back of my mind that I really wanted to um, become a writer. So I took a lot of courses um, within the South Wales Writing Centre, learned, networked. You know, um, I don't think I was part of Australian Writing Centre, but I'm sure if I had known about it then, I would have signed <laughs> up. <laughs> so, but definitely um, networking and trying to understand as much about the industry and where I wanted to position myself. So yeah, so um, wrote a couple of manuscripts, little smallish, uh, like picture book manuscripts that didn't seem to take gel, but then ended up with this chapter book about a girl growing up with her pet chickens and how she had to keep in secret and put a lot of cultural references that were very important to me as the Chinese American and now a Chinese American Australian, um, kind of putting those touch points in because that was something that I really wanted to share in my writing and was very fortunate to get that published with the University of Queensland Press. Um, I submitted it to the slush pile. Uh, this was how far back when they still submitted slush piles in paper format. Wow. So I probably am one of the last people that they published in that way before, um, yeah, kind of everyone's kind of gone digital now, but definitely I submitted a pile of paper and it was thick. Fantastic. But yeah, but that was great. And there we are. That was nine years ago. And here I am. So let's, why did you start, like you said, you, you know, that you had wanted to write for children. What, what was it about writing for children that was important to you? Like why that and not writing an adult novel or something like that? Yeah, I think something about, I think the types of stories that I want to tell, and certainly, you know, I think this can remains true now, but I definitely think um, my writing style has adapted and grown that I wouldn't say that writing for adults is completely out of, you know, the picture for me. But I definitely think that the types of stories and the types of characters that I could create in my head that felt the felt interesting for me to explore like their experiences and how they're feeling and their emotional journey of being, you know, growing up and being a human was what really resonated with me. And I think it was for always young people in my mind that I wanted to explore. And then also, I think just that audience has just always been, I um, taught kids for a while when I was in Japan. So really connected with kids that way. I think I just have a very youthful 
soul in some senses and really wanted to kind of connect with that and stuff. I, I think I'm just a 10-year-old kid still in my brain, still working that out myself. I know. Like I, I feel the same way and I, I think we're trying to, what we're trying to say is that this is a good thing, but really it's like we're still immature. Is that it? Pretty much. I think that's it. And we're just still working ourselves out. Like, you know, little 12-year-old me never quite figured it out. And until I figure that out, I can't really properly adult. So yeah. <laughs> So what's your writing process? Like, are you someone who plans out your novels in advance or are you someone who just sort of gets an idea, you know, about chickens or about, you know, freedom swimming or whatever and then starts writing? Yeah, it's it's taken me a little bit of a while to figure out exactly what my process is. And I, I, I'm not entirely sure if it always works 100% of the way, but I definitely think um, I start off with some idea of a plan that I can quickly put out into a one pager so it feels like a solid, okay, I think this is actually a story and not just some really crazy thing I want to explore that just ends up going nowhere. So I, I need some kind of understanding that these are the beats, these are the points, and yes, this feels like a story. But then when I actually start the writing process, it does take a kind of take on a life of its own. So I'm definitely probably more of a pantser, if, if that's, you know, the, those plotting plotters versus pantsers, um, you know, ideologies that we come through. But um, I do kind of, yeah, need to start with some idea of what, a, how a story will unfold before I can really get to that pantsing process and get to writing. Yeah. How do you know that an idea has got legs, that it can be a story? Like, is it is it you having to actually, as you say, like work out the structure in advance to go, go yes, there's an ending here, there's an end point, this is what's going to happen in the middle? Um, because, you know, you can have a great idea, but it doesn't necessarily translate into a great story. A thousand percent. And I'm still working through that process myself. I still, I think, am abandoned. I think I just have to try it and see see if I'm passionate about the idea and I can find the legs of it. I usually know around that 10, if I can hit the 10,000 word mark on an idea, then I know that it's, it's, it's got enough legs. So I've tricked myself a few times with false starts on a, like probably a dozen projects that I thought, oh, this is going to be great. And yeah, and I, I wish I, I wish I was better at that filtering process because I think I've wasted so much time, but it is just one of those things you don't know until you know, and until you go through that process of writing that you suddenly get hooked and your brain is kind of working and trying to flesh it out further. And it is that process of writing that um, kind of stimulates that. I can't just sit there daydreaming about it. I actually have to be writing it down and then I can see where it's going to take me. So yeah, I wish I was better at it. (laughs) (laughs) We all do, trust me. (laughs) (laughs) It never Um, gets easier, huh? (laughs) No, it never gets Like I I want it to. I really do. And I, I wish I could say that it did, but it actually doesn't. There's always a point, I think, with every single book that you write where you, you think, what, what am I doing with my life? Don't you think? I think so. And then you come out the other end and you forget about that completely. Like, oh, that was fine. Look, there's a beautiful book. It's mostly there. And then you do it again going, how did I do this exactly? Yeah. Short-term memory. Uh, um, So you were working around a day job when you started out. And I I think you've actually got quite a big day job, don't you? Like you – what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so right now I'm working for a charity called Starlight Children's Foundation, which is a wonderful organization that brings happiness to sick kids. So very, you know, passionate about, you know, helping kids and everything. Um, but what I'm there, what I do there is I'm a business system analyst. Mm-hmm. So that means that I work on CRMs and websites, integrations. So basically I'm a giant code nerd is how I would describe <laughs> 
<laughs> my day job. Um, and, and it's true. It is absolutely, it's the most different thing that I can say from my writing, which is, you know, of course, another big part of me and still a very important job to me. But I think um, have for me, it took me a while to understand this very particular aspect of myself, which is I just need that really analytical kind of, you know, problem solving, like picking apart code and writing logic in kind of that part of me and also the very creative part, because I actually tried for a while early on in my career to start, uh, try writing full time um, when I was uh, working on those Chuk Chuk series. And it just wasn't work working for me. Um, mentally, I wasn't 100 percent great. I was, you know, kind of quite anxious all the time. I was worried about money, as you know, writing can often be. And my husband just looked at me and just said, you're not thriving. You're not doing well with this. Why don't you just go back to work? And I think it took me a while to go, oh, actually, you know, because you always think that the dream is to write full time and that's your thing and everything. But it, it, until you try it again, uh, until you try it, you realize it's not really working. So, yeah, so I went back to work and found an organization that supported me and allowed me to take time off to do things like write books or other adventures that I <laughs> became passionate about. So I'm yes. very grateful for Starlight to be able to give me that type of work-life balance so that I can look into both areas and fulfill what I, you know, feel, feel I have purpose and yeah, I'm doing what I can. So yeah. So when you are working, you know, a full-time at a day job, how do you fit the writing in? Are you working at night or are you just specifically taking chunks of time off to like focus on, on writing, getting a, you know, getting a book down, getting the draft out? Yeah, diff the different books I've had, um, I have been, uh, the process has been a little bit different. For some, for Freedom Swimmer, for example, I did take like book leave, essentially, which was like four or five weeks off at a time to just focus on it. Interestingly, with Dumpling, I was act actually able to do it. Um, it took longer to write. It took about 18 months to get that first, first sort of first draft out. But I was mostly doing it on weekends and um, holidays, basically long weekends and Christmas and stuff like that. So I was able to kind of work it more around the job um, a, a little bit like I can try and sometimes I try to write in the mornings for a little bit as well but really it is about when I'm at my day job I'm kind of thinking about it in the back of my subconscious brain mm. and solving the problems and trying to think about what what I'm going to do so that when we when I get to the weekends I'm just like focused and can do like you know 3,000 word sprints which still isn't that much considering an 80,000 word book so it just took a lot more time and a lot more iterations to get that down so yeah it's it's tricky but that's how I learned my brain works. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because often when I go to school talks, um, I have this big spiel that I give in the middle of my author visits because there's always the kid, there'll be some kid who puts their hand up in the middle of a talk and says, look, you know, this creative stuff is just not for me. Like I'm a maths kid or I'm a science kid. And I say to those kids, you know, like, well, you've got a writing superpower. Like you've got that logical analytical brain. That means you will always be able to get to the end of the book. Like you can solve the problems because so much of creative writing is literally problem solving don't you think yeah. like it's like if you set this up you've got to figure out how to logically get to the you know how your character is going to logically get to the end or the solution for that particular problem so would you classify that logical brain of yours like you're tucking your story into the back of it and you're doing your analysis stuff um you know in the foreground and stuff but do you think that that is a is a huge strength for you as far as your writing goes 
That's so interesting and so astute of you to observe that. I think it is. I think for the types of stories that I write and the way I go about writing, yes, I think you're absolutely right. It is so much problem solving. And it is my analytical, logical side of my brain that kind of goes, I know something isn't right and I can't figure out what it is. And until I figure out this piece doesn't belong here, it actually belongs here earlier. So structurally, it feels more sound. You know, it'll always nagle at me kind of like a bit of a coding problem where you know there's a bug and I can't fix it and it's not doing something it's exactly <laughs> like that it's the same part of my brain that just can't put that down so yeah it's a it's a huge um I think that's to to my style and the types of stories that I tell in the way I write um yes absolutely I'm quite a I'm quite a minimalist writer I'm not very big on very descriptive flowy language um I kind of cut cut quite quickly to what point, emotional point that I want to get to. And a lot of that I think is because I am quite, um, that analytical side of me is, is playing down there where I just pare things down and just kind of try and get to cut to the point, um, rather quickly. So yeah, so I do think it's definitely a strength and I absolutely always talk to kids in that same way. Um, that, you know, actually, yeah, I'm a coder. And I think the brilliant thing about the industry now is that, and I think the kids are seeing that is that you can be both. And there isn't that kind of pigeonhole. You're either a creative, or you're this and like you know our harry potter houses that had us grouped into these sectors they don't exist anymore you can be anything you want to be and i think that's lovely and wonderful um and i think the kids are definitely getting that and starting to understand that and yeah that's i think it's going to be so amazing when you know this next generation of stuff and what they're going to achieve it's it's incredible Definitely. So talking about generations, your debut YA novel, Freedom Swimmer, uh, does have like family ties, I believe. So for our US listeners who will be able to get their copies in November, just tell us a little bit about that book. Yeah, Freedom Swimmer is an absolutely, um, yeah, it is a very personal book for me in that um, it's based on the true story of my father. So um, my father, back in the 19, um, 1970s, when the Cultural Revolution in China was happening and lots of terrible things were happening in China, essentially, my father was one of thousands of young people who decided to swim from China to Hong Kong to escape some of those terrible things that were happening back then. Um, it was famine and, you know, economic disadvantage and all of those things. So I just still cannot believe that he was someone who dove into shark infested waters and thought that, you know, this is a way to get a better life and a better and to get freedom. And um, so, yeah, that is what the book is based on. Um, it isn't my father's story, but definitely I drew on his story and also a lot of um, other people that I knew had, that had similar backgrounds and histories. And yeah, um, um, I put together this story that is about a young boy um, who has, uh, who is basically living in a poor village, and he meets another young uh, boy who comes from a city, and together they form a wonderful friendship and navigate the unusual terrain that they're going through, the political waters and everything. And then, um, as they kind of move towards um, what what a swim might look like. So yeah. Okay. And now, you know, the surprising power of a good dumpling um, is doing incredibly well, uh, finals in the Kirkus Awards. Did you know that that was happening? Like, did you, or was that a complete surprise to you? It was definitely a complete surprise. Getting being a Kirkus finalist is absolutely incredible. I still keep thinking it's a mistake. I know like everyone talks about imposter syndrome and yes, I still have it. I'm like, I'm sure they're just going to take it away from me. And they're actually going, no, it's Wei Chin. It was a different author or someone like that. <laughs> I still think it's an absolute mistake, but it's so incredible because um, of course, being American myself and having, you know, grew up in the States, um, having that acknowledgement from my own, my home country really, really makes a difference. Uh, Dumpling is actually the first 
book that I have had published in the U.S. Most of my other books, except for Freedom Summer coming out this year, which will be my second book, which is coming out this year. Um, yeah, all my other books have only been distributed in Australia and the U.K. So to have a book go, be distributed in the States and then to have it be, you know, so well received. Um, it got the Kirkus Star and I was absolutely amazed because that's so difficult to get yeah. as it is. And then it was named one of the best YA books for 2020. And I almost fell out. I fell out of my chair then. And I was like, oh, my God, that's incredible to make this list. And then for it to become a finalist, I, I just couldn't fathom it. And they don't tell you anyone who gets a star is eligible for this prize. But I think they said 729 books in the young readers um, it, Mar like air sector were reviewed and had received the star and were eligible. And somehow mine is one of those, one of the six to be a finalist. I, I still can't do the maths. Like I'm a math girl and I can't do the maths here. It's just, <laughs> it's just blowing my brain still. Oh, it's so, fantastic. Yeah. What, what was the inspiration for that novel? Yeah, so The Surprising Power of a Good Jumping is kind of, um, it's a very different novel in that it's set um, in contemporary times. Most of the other books I've written are set in China and, you know, a little bit more historical, but this one's set in modern day and it's set in Sydney. So it's a Chinese-Australian girl. And the, I went into this book quite interestingly because I actually didn't have a full fleshed out um, like kind of plot and outline of where I wanted to go with it. But I knew I wanted to explore the topic of mental illness in Chinese communities and the stigma that surrounds it. Um, mental illness is something that is highly stigmatized um, in, you know, Western communities as well as much as Chinese um, and other communities, but definitely um, within Chinese culture and growing up in that community, understanding there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of misunderstanding and there's a lot of shame around it. So I just kind of wanted to explore that and understand because I had I've seen how much it impacts um, young people, especially mm. to be in that situation where they already feel out of place, um, being diasporic, that's that's my identity, and feeling diasporic um, in that you're straddling two cultures already, mm. and then to add a layer of stigma and shame and something that neither community can really talk about or have the language to um, dissect was something that I felt was an important thing to try and unpick and try and realize and, you know, kind of present in a way that I hoped was sensitive and empathetic and would give people that kind of understanding that everything was okay. It wasn't, you know, it was just a bunch of miscommunication and we all just have to move through that and feel okay with mm. things. So, yeah. Cool. And your current work in Australia is a short story in the Hometown Haunts anthology. How did you come to be involved in that? Yeah, so um, the Hometown Haunts is uh, coming out at the um, 31st of October on Halloween, uh, published by Wakefield Press. And yeah, um, Poppy Nosser, who is a wonderful author um, and of course also works for Wakefield Press, approached me to contribute to this anthology. And I had absolutely no idea um, what what to write about. I, I, I love horror as, as, a, as, a, as a genre, but certainly haven't written anything horror in my own view. But I thought it would be a fun project to do um, during 2020, especially with COVID, it was. I found I found it really challenging to take on new projects, and I had. It was a time when I wasn't landing a lot of my works and mm. kind of not feeling quite creatively unmotivated. So this was a fun exercise, and I'm so grateful to be part of this anthology with so many of the greats. We've got Sarah Epstein there, Holden Shepherd's contributed, Vicky Wakefield. So so many amazing authors, and they've also in um, included some young and emerging authors as well. So it's going to be a great anthology, and I'm just um, yeah, I think it was a wonderful exercise for me to go through and feel like okay, I've still got some creative, you know, energy here. <laughs> I can still I do can this. Do this. <laughs> 
3,000 words. That's not bad at all. I yeah. can do this. Yeah. It's um, a fun piece. Yeah, it's a fun piece. So it'll be great. <laughs> so what sorts of things um, do you do to promote your books? Like are you very active on social media? Are you like doing lots of author school? I mean, I'd imagine you don't have a lot of time for author school visits if you're working full time and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I definitely do a lot of social media. I quite like social media in that it allows, it's another avenue for me to be slightly creative. So I do lots of like cute little videos on Instagram and stuff like that um, when I can. Um, yeah, I do do a, a, a number of school visits, um, especially around the release of a book. But you're right, I don't kind of use, um, I don't kind of do too many school visit, visits between projects just because I just don't have the time to invest in that. I'd love to, I absolutely love going to schools. Um, and meeting kids face to face, but it is just about scheduling. And especially now with um, COVID and everything, it's just been so, so much harder. Um, but yeah, I mean, promotion is a really, really tough thing. Um, Alan and I wouldn't do quite a good job, obviously, and I'm very grateful to have them as my publisher. And they've included me in lots of amazing things when we could still do like in-book events and stuff like that. And I think um, I invested quite heavily as well. Like I did little, my own, I ran my own promotions and giveaways and kind of, you know, after... Dumpling being my sixth book, kind of, I'd learned a lot about what promotion was required and the amount of work that had to go into it and yeah. in terms of the community and everything like that. So, yeah, so I think I kind of hopefully put as much of my learnings into play as I could with my last book. So do you find, like, as your profile's grown, that you, you actually spend more time doing publicity or, or less um, I think I end up doing more, more of the types of publicity that, uh, I enjoy doing. So okay. I think it's about the same, but, um, early on in my career, I felt like I was actually actively reaching out to book bloggers and asking them, Hey, is this something that, you know, I saw you review books. Would you like to, and kind of doing some of that type of more yeah. on the ground re outreach versus, um, I think with a bigger profile and also of course having Alan and when, um, just having more marketing strength behind there, they're kind of looking after a lot of those more traditional media outreach things, but I still utilize my connections because I'm always chatting to people on Twitter and on Instagram, um, especially Twitter, there's such an amazing community out there of readers and writers. And I think being a part of that community, however you choose to be a part of it, it doesn't mean you have to be like, you know, putting out lots and lots of content, but even just commenting on each other's content, you know, wishing people happy birthday, etc. little things like that just builds good karmic relationships. So yeah. I kind of do that. Yeah. quite a bit so that it does, I can leverage some of my genuine relationships when it comes to promotion time or something like that. So yeah. So, and I like doing that stuff because it's a wonderful community anyway. I'm such a huge nerd. So, <laughs> um, and now you've been on Survivor. So yeah. let's, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room here. You've been on Survivor, your face, your name, your Quokka t-shirt is well known to a lot of Australians. Um, do you think that translates into people knowing about your books? I don't know. It's an interesting question. Um, uh, hopefully it does. It's been interesting. Of course, Survivor hasn't ended, like only ended like a couple weeks ago. And I'm yeah. still like kind of grateful for, oh, I don't have to watch Survivor every other day, every day. <laughs> it's starting to feel like, okay, Sunday, I got, we got to sit down. We got to watch Survivor. I have to pay attention. Even though I was there and I, I saw it unfold, it's very different when it's on the screen because I'm like, okay, that's the story they're telling. I have to remember that story and not the thing that was in my head when I was out there because it gets confusing. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, but it's been, look, it's been, it was a wonderful experience. I did it for so many reasons. Um, 
Um, mostly just as a personal curiosity. I was just so curious about what it was going to be like and what, what it was. And now that I've come out of it, yes, I think, um, my profile is bigger, but it's interesting because I think, you know, um, I think the types of people that interact with me now about Survivor aren't the types of, aren't like, are, are like surprised and they go, okay, yeah, I've never, I haven't read a book in like years. I, I might pick up yours, you know, and that's yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. because yeah. I'm like, wow, you know, to be, I'm really honored when they say that. I don't know how far they're going to get. It'll be like three pages, but that's fine. You know, they've given them a red hot go. So there's, I think, some of that. But there is also a huge overlap, I realize, between the book community and the survivor community. And that's been really interesting because I think, you know, some of our identities kind of start to intersect a little bit. So who knows? Um, we'll find out in probably six months time when I get my new new figures how much of an impact it makes. <laughs> Well, we were like, I have to say, one of the things that really stuck with us, because our, as if we watched as a family, we were cheering you on, Team Brands, as a family, and we were in awe, in absolute, unbelievable awe of your word puzzle skills, because you won immunity there in one particular challenge where you were like, I don't know, days behind everybody else, day, like days behind. And you whipped through at the end and you put together a word puzzle in about 25 seconds. And we were all just like, because I'm not bad at a word puzzle, but I could not have done it that quickly. It was impressive. And did you just find yourself going, oh yeah, okay, there's a you in this. It must be guaranteed. <laughs> no. Oh, look, I, yeah, that, that win was amazing. And it was, and I think so much of it was a bit of luck. Um, obviously I think all based on a few different things, I think a bunch of us started to think of the answer that was guaranteed like at the same time because you know Haley was doing that as well and everything but I think once I cracked it once I was like I think it was that yeah there were just a few different things that there were a bunch of different permutations and then eventually once you see it you're terrified that everyone else around you has yeah, of yeah. course had the exact same thought so the only thing that's going to save you is speed and so yeah so once you crack it you're just like oh my god I just have to put this out and fortunately I could spell I think that was my big learn and everyone else's kind of moment with that I, I was spell. the only one who was 100 percent confident I knew how to spell this word <laughs> Haley was a little bit not entirely she had a couple permutations but I was like nope it's this word and I know how to spell it so that's that hilarious spelling <laughs> is my superpower spelling is your superpower you have no idea how much that mattered that's <laughs> hilarious do you think like how do you think the experience of being on that show you know might translate into stories in the future for you yeah, definitely. I came out of Survivor with like an idea for a picture book, um, which, um, yeah, I'm, I was really excited to put down on the page because I didn't have pen and paper out there. And that was a nightmare. Oh, my God. That was probably the most anxiety inducing part of it was that I couldn't write things down because my head was just completely overwhelmed. But, um, yeah, I had some ideas that I managed to put on paper that I've kind of, you know, um, I'm going to see if it's actually going to turn into a project. Um, and then I think more than anything, it is I think it was just the experience of understanding different types of people. People. And I, you know, so many people that I met there, I never would have met in my, you know, day job nor my writing job. So I think that really expanded, I think, some of my horizons and understandings of how people are and conduct themselves as characters, as, you know, how, how they justify their decisions and stuff like that. So I think mm. that's definitely going to be a really, really good place to draw on when I, you know, kind of continue onwards with a future project and stuff. And I have no doubt that those insights are definitely going to inform my future work. I don't think I'm going to be writing something that's about like surviving in the outback with snakes. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a little bit too traumatic. Sleeping I don't know. In the dirt. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Sleeping in the dirt. But you never know. We'll see. We'll see in a little bit of time when I've like, you know, recovered from that a little bit. And it's like, yeah, a a good memory that I can draw from and not be, okay, why did I do that exactly? (laughs) Did you find yourself thinking, because I watch a show like, like as a writer, I watch shows like that, obviously reality shows, and I do put reality in quote marks. Um, But do you... Did you find yourself in the middle of all of that going on, as, you know, as a writer, thinking at all about how people might be portrayed as characters? Because they are, let's face it, yeah. and they're given a story arc and they're edited into a, you know, into a role and all of that kind of stuff. Did you find yourself thinking about who was going to be the, you know, villain and, 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 and did it turn out that way when you saw the final cut? A thousand percent. And I think I leaned into that specifically. And I think it wasn't just, I think all of us sort of leaned into our characters, um, knowing that there were characters being uh, portrayed and stuff. And I think I could see definitively how certain um, characters would be portrayed, how their arcs could be portrayed and stuff like that. So definitely um, when I watched it back, it wasn't, I don't think any of the portrayals were particularly a surprise to me. Um, That I do attribute to being a writer and understanding that and also kind of realizing that I didn't particularly have control over elements of it. So I wasn't going to worry about it. So, yeah, I think it is a story. I think knowing how stories and characters and kind of because it it felt like it wasn't fully me. It was a character of me moving through the game. It helped me understand sort of predict what could happen and also made sure I, I was more confident and helped me play the game in that I was able to just kind of make sure that what I said felt most authentic and true to the type of character that I I would I was comfortable being as well if, if that makes sense a little bit just trying to understand how someone might put together these things and and um you know whether I was comfortable playing that character or what what else I wanted to do because they do work really hard to like produce us and make us not make us say things but you know kind of ask us questions oh, in they're a way provoking and, the response they want exactly yeah, and we're of course. hungry and we're tired and all of those things yeah. so all of those things you kind of recognize and as a as a storyteller, I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is how that you know journey and arc goes, and and yeah, mine was definitely about personal growth, which I was very comfortable with because that was exactly why I went into the show to start with. So I think that was it was a good insight to have that behind me and know that this was how it was going to be framed, so there were no surprises when when it came about. You were also the children's author picked last for sport. Like, let's <laughs> face it, like. <laughs> We had you. We had so, so many ways. Oh, my God. And it was hilarious. And I have to ask you this question because it was a question that came up for us as viewers a couple of times. When you had to do water challenges and you're not, a, let's face it, you're not a swimmer, and then given the family history and the fam- and the story, the Freedom Swimmer and stuff, I'm like, she hasn't practised her swimming. Like, what's going on here? What's going on here? absolutely oh my gosh so a couple of different things yes um I do have a bit of water phobia it's not kind of gripping in the fact that you know I I felt like I was in sheer danger but I'm definitely not comfortable in the water um so yes I came about this experience quite um last minute um I think so basically because um they were supposed to film last year in 2020 but cancelled because of covid i think when they came into this year um with carrying on the same theme of brains versus brawn they kind of had some contestants drop out Uh... so i was one of the people that was sort of plugging in so i didn't have the benefit of knowing that i would have heaps of time you would have to to do it oh it makes perfect sense now because we were just like what So, no, I did know that I would have to swim. Like, they were very upfront. They asked me, and I was like, yes, um, I'm a little afraid of water. You do have to do a swimming test. So, 
Um, I applied very late, but I went through the whole application process. And you do have to do a swimming test. But the swimming test is swim 200 meters, any stroke. So uh, I did backstroke, essentially, right. and k- didn't drown, basically. They're like, yep, yeah, that's all. That's fine. You can go. So no, I'm definitely, yeah, so, but definitely not a confident swimmer. And some of those challenges, you know, I don't think the backstroke would have, there was a challenge (laughs) in the Gin show. There was a part of, um, I did compete in the, in the KFC reward challenge where everyone was swimming. We all actually had to compete and I did try and backstroke most of it and then realized I could pull in the rope. So I I did actually compete in using backstroke, but they didn't show it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how rude. No, we're, we're just not going to show this entire about the heat. That's so, hilarious. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So what are you working on now? Like what's the what's the next thing? Yeah, so I am trying to um kind of make this sort of little picture book idea I have like into some a real project and kind of see how that goes. And then yeah, I'm I'm gonna be really, really honest with you. I'm kind of in that trying out new projects phase of, mm. of my existence right now. And I think it's always a fun thing because anything can be anything. So mm. it's a fun piece, but it is also it's kind of one of those until I hit the 10,000 word mark, I don't believe it's a project yet. So we're still in a, and transparently I've had a couple of false starts already. It's been tough. I don't know how you found it, but COVID's been tough um, in, in this environment to try and really get a big project going and, and stuff. And this is probably part of the reason I went on Survivor was just a bit of a distraction or, or you know. <laughs> I like but, the way but, you distract yourself. Maybe that's what yeah. I need to do. I do understand what you're talking about, though, and I, and, and anecdotally, um, you know, a lot of authors, a lot of writers I'm talking to are feeling the same way, and it's yeah. it's more of an ennui. It's like a there's just this general sort of oh, just go yeah. quiet, no, you know. And I I, I do think it is um it's just related to the to the whole you know atmosphere mm-hmm. around us. Like I think authors are just very very sensitive to the general mood. That's what Absolutely. I think. All right, so we're going to finish up today, Way. It's been such a joy chatting to you. Um, we're going to finish up today with our three top tips for writers. So what would you give us as your three top tips for aspiring writers beyond break out of your ennui by going on Survivor? What else have you got for us? <laughs> yeah, I don't necessarily recommend that for, for, for yeah, for as a way to inspire yourself. Again, I'm still not entirely sure how well that's panning out. Okay, my three top tips for um, for aspiring writers. One is, I think, um, find a process that works for you. Definitely. I think it does early on in my career. Um, you know, especially when I was aspiring, I had these mythologies of, you know, oh, to be a writer, you're only a writer when you're working, right. Writing is your entire thing, or you have to be writing X number of words a day or else you're not really. No, that's, I think that as long as you're writing, you're a writer because you're writing. And I think it is about finding a process that works for you. So that could be writing every day. That could be writing on the weekend. That could be, but just make sure that it's working for you and be really honest with yourself that something is or isn't working. Cause it's so easy to just get caught up in the, in the ness of the writerness of, of, of it all. So mm. um, please yeah, be honest with yourself and know what works for you. Um, the second tip I would have is um, I think, in the process, in the writing process, I definitely am a huge fan of making sure you're writing and r- just write. Don't be scared of that zero draft. I don't even call it a first draft. I call it a zero draft. Get the words on the page and just worry about fixing it later. Be really, really kind of having those two elements, um, the editing hats versus the writing hat, has separate those two and really enjoy that process because there's two very, very different um, sides of writing. And that's the fun thing I think about this this 
career is that you get to do so many different things all the time and no two days are the same. It's not like you're just sitting there writing like uh, when I was like trying to be a copywriter for God knows what reason, you know, it was the same every day and just turning out like a hundred lines every day. And it was awful versus being a creative writer. You get to do the writing part, then you get to do the editing part, then you get to do the, you know, the drafting. And so I think that just make keeping it varied and like kind of keeping those hats separate and enjoying all of those processes, even if they sometimes do feel a little bit not great. Mm. Um, and then my third tip, my third tip is going to be a philosophical one, which is to be kind and work really, really, really hard. Um, especially in this industry, I think kindness is sometimes completely overlooked. Um, mm. Everyone involved in kids lit, especially, is so so passionate and do it, it's a it's a labor of love, and everyone is trying their hardest to make things happen. And I think it can be really frustrating as an aspiring writer to come up against you know silence or you know people being too critical or not seeing your work and being really quite ruthless. But I think. Ultimately, everyone in the industry is trying their hardest. And, you know, we're not talking about publishers, CEOs with like squillion dollar salaries like we are in other industries. Everyone is trying their best. And I think keeping that in mind um, can help you in your get further in your career than you realize, I think. And certainly I'm very grateful for kind of trying to remember that as much as I can and work really, really hard because that's kind of how things get get done. Um, <laughs> so true. Work it really is. hard. I know. It's it's so nice to think that there might be a magic bullet that just will take you to the end, but it, it is just really about hard work. And I totally agree with you on kindness. I think that um, it takes you a very, very long way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think it is such an amazing industry. You meet so many wonderful people, yourself included in everything, but, you know, who just are giving in, you're giving your time to, you know, help, help give these, you know, produce these amazing podcasts and everything. And everyone's very generous. And that's such an important um, component. And I think, yeah, it's, it's just very, it's just when you think about the amount of time and energy and effort and generosity that the industry as a whole has given to, you know, kids literature, it's just, it's just insurmountable. So, yeah. So true. Well, Wei Chim, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. If you would like to find out more about Wei's books, you can find them at weichim.com, W-A-I-C-H-I-M. If you are in the US, keep an eye out for her new one coming out very soon. Um, and in Australia, of course, Hometown Haunts and various other things, like just get on board. And we will look forward to seeing what comes next because I think it's probably going to be very interesting. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for having me, Alison. This has been a joy. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. There we go. What a cool interview. How fantastic. That's great, oh, Yeah, it's such a lot of fun. I mean, I just, you know, it was amazing. And like we had, I don't know, like we, we had so much, took so much pleasure in watching her as a family. Uh, we watched mm. the whole series. We were, you know, there for Team Brains the whole way. And <laughs> it was, um, you know, it was just really good because we, uh, you know, Book Boy uh, had met her at various, you know, literary events that we had been to. Mm. He interviewed her for his radio, uh, radio program on Triple U that he does. He has a community radio program and, and God bless her. She, um, you know, she, she, so submitted, I would have to say, to an interview with him um, for that. And yes, just, uh, it was just so great to see, you know, to see someone that you, that you knew yeah. doing that. It was great. Really enjoyed it. How awesome. Mm. And she went so far too. Oh, she did. We would look, honestly, we thought she was going to go under the radar enough just to get herself, you know, all the way up mm. there, but she was top four, I think in the end. Brilliant. It was brilliant. brilliant. Well done. Yep. 
All right, so we're now near the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week, Al? Oh, that's a great question. What am I doing? I don't know. I'd have to check my diary to actually see if there's anything interesting happening. Um, <laughs> oh, you know what I am doing? I, I've got what? something. Wait, I've got what? something. What? what? I am going to, so because regional travel is opening up and right. I'm going to uh, my friend, the photographer Tamara Dean, who is a very, uh, you know, internationally renowned art photographer, she, her, um, so Ben Quilty has has pushed for and raised money for and got himself got got a, a dairy, an old yeah, dairy gallery. farm mm. in, turned into the Southern Highlands Regional Gallery. Go yeah. Ben Quilty! Mm. So Tamara's uh, one of the opening exhibitions there is Tamara's new photographic exhibition. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so um, we are going as a as a gang. Um, all her all her sort of friends from down this way are going to to the exhibition to the um, to visit oh, wow. the opening day. Yeah, and cool. we're going to have a picnic outside because that's what we can do now. And nice. um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it because she does amazing work. Um, and you know, there's a series that she's been working on that features the the three young sons of a, of a friend of mine and you know this is work that goes all around the world and it's just so astonishing to me that this mm. she's a lovely self-effacing humble gorgeous woman just doing what she does and doing it brilliantly and I'm just so proud of her and I'm so excited to go and just you know enjoy her work in this brand new space you know in the regions I'm I'm wrapped so there you go there's something oh, exciting. Very exciting. I want a road trip. I oh, want a road sorry. trip. You can only go on a road trip around your suburb at the moment still, <laughs> can't you? I think you can go to the other end of Sydney if you want. Oh, uh, yeah, I think you can. You yeah. can. Yeah, but I want to go to road trip, you know, out, out, out. Well, into the I wanna, wilds. I want to go to Seal Rocks. Oh, that is the wilds. That's about five yes. or six hours drive from you. Will you be all right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm determined to get there. I've been wanting to go there for ages. but Have you been know, before? You know. No. Um, so why Seal Rocks? What, oh. what is it about Seal Rocks that is okay. drawing you north? So remember, I don't know, if you're, uh, Doris Lessing wrote this novella called The Grandmothers, right? Um, <laughs> That's not where I expected you to start this conversation, but okay. Yeah, Doris Lessing wrote The Grandmothers and mm. The Grandmothers, the premise of The Grandmothers was adapted into the film Adoration starring Naomi Watts and Robin Wright. And even though the the grandmother, the, the novella was not set on, you know, the coast of New South Wales, uh, this was, but the story is based on that novella. And it is all filmed in Seal Rocks. It is quintessentially Australian. When you hear the premise, it sounds like the weirdest, bizarrest premise ever and you almost don't want to watch. But when you watch it, it's just so well done and it it really, really, the sense of place in it is so strong that I just desperately have to go and soak it up and experience it and live in that world. So there you go. <laughs> the premise. I'm, just, I'm astonished, but okay. Because yeah. I've been to Steel Rocks several times. Yes. Oh, I was. And it's yeah, lovely, Andrew. but yes. I, it, I think because it's probably like every other kind of beach town like it, I don't think it ever, it hasn't really imprinted itself on my 
memory in any way. I've clearly romanticised it because you of have, the film. I think. Anyway, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to hearing about your trip to Seal Rocks in the future. <laughs> yes. All right. So that's me. All right. So where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.